by kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Welcome back to Love That Album podcast. This is the podcast where we speak about favourite or sometimes not so favourite records. My name is Morris. Thanks for joining us. This is episode 67. And um, this is, I guess, maybe a bit of a bonus episode in a way because I'd intended that the next episode was going to be talking about the album Spilt Milk by Jellyfish. And that will be happening later in the month. So, in fact, we have three episodes of Love That Album coming up this month. Two that I'll be... um, hosting and one the usual podcast uh, podcast the usual uh anthology albums specials hosted by eric reanimator that'll be coming in a week or two but um, i'm very happy to be doing this one i have on the other end of a skype connection mr scott clickers welcome back to the show scott morris it's wonderful to be here thank you for having me back oh it's uh my absolute pleasure now this is going to be um uh, an interesting one because what we'd originally intended when we last spoke, which was just back in September, we were doing like a, you know, a Canadian double. We're going to talk about Neil Young, which we did, and we're going to talk about the uh, act that we have gotten around to today, um, the uh, husband and wife team called Whitehorse and their album, The Fate of the World Depends Upon This Kiss. But we sort of ran out of time because we had so much to say about Neil that uh, there was just no time and we said look we'll come back to this one and we've done it sooner rather than later i'm really looking forward to uh, to this this is an album that you put me onto and um i'm very very excited about this so yeah no I, I'm, I'm glad it clicked with you and i hopefully hopefully we'll have a great discussion and uh and, and turn some other people on to checking out white horse indeed but uh look before we get into doing that let's um talk a little bit about uh, what uh, we've been listening to over the last week or two i mean we could probably sort of like you know rattle on for hours just on that but you know, let's limit it to uh, the last week or so what's uh, what's been floating your boat yeah well i've been uh, breaking out the vinyl a bit more of late and just sitting down and really listening um you know to really really getting into some good stuff buying some uh, older records my wife cat and i have did had a great little shopping excursion a couple of weeks ago um, something I've really been getting into lately, and they were always on my radar, but I didn't know them very well, um, are Delaney and Bonnie. Mm, mm, I yep, picked yep. up some uh, couple of their early records and just cannot stop listening to them. That would be, um, I think one's just called the original Delaney and Bonnie. Mm. And the one I'm really digging is called uh, To Bonnie from Delaney, and I just cannot get enough of them. Right. And, you know, it's it's nice. I'm 42 now, and it's kind of kicking myself for not um, listening uh, to them uh, earlier, but what the heck? It's nice to have new things to uh, to discover. It's not Absolutely. new to anyone else, but new to me. 
Absolutely. I mean, I know that in the film podcasts that we um, that we listen to, they're always talking about Pantheon films and cross this off the list of shame. I look, I don't believe in guilty pleasures, and I don't believe in a list of shame. You know, you you finally discover something that you know maybe you should have heard years ago. Doesn't matter. You're eventually getting around to it. And I mean, look, you know what? Like, I've not actually listened to the Delaney and Bonnie albums. I mean, I think I've got like you know two or three songs on um, uh, on the Eric Clapton Crossroads box set. Yep. But uh, that's as far as I go, and I think you know it's it's good stuff. But I've sort of not actually gotten around to uh, searching uh, the albums out, so it's uh, interesting to get that high recommend from you. We might have to yeah, make that a just point. really impressed, and I'm happy I've discovered them now. Did um so? Did you ever get into any of the other stuff that Clapton had done from the era, like uh, you know the Derek and the Dominoes album, or uh, or you know the John Mayles Blues Breakers album? Where you sort of got that whole treasure trove to go down. Yeah, I've got a lot of that stuff. Um, the Layla and other sort of love songs is really, you know, one of my go-to classic rock albums. So, just surprised I never really, never really looked into Delaney and Bonnie that closely before because I was totally aware of them and like that era of Clapton stuff. But mm. um, so it's right up my alley, and it's just just hit all hit checked all the boxes for me, you know. Fantastic. So you say you've been listening to this on vinyl. Where are you getting your vinyl? Like from a. a- uh, you're buying it new or you're crate digging in the secondhand stores? How are you getting it? Oh, uh, yeah. This stuff's mainly crate digging. Uh, you know, I really I really try to – I'd like to support new vinyl industry, but it, it can be pricey. So Absolutely. Um, only, the, only the really special stuff, I, I'm, I'm going that route or I'm, I'm putting a lot of those on my birthday or Christmas wishlists <laughs> for other people. <laughs> but, yeah, yet, uh, there are a lot of good, uh, good used vinyl stores here in Toronto. We're still lucky to have that, so – some yeah, lunch hour crate digging can can bring out some gems. No, absolutely. I think yeah, we got a few here in Melbourne as well. I actually uh, went for a drive with my son Max yesterday. Um, he wanted actually to go to a heavy metal store uh, on the north side of town, and um, we had a bit of a look through there for a, for a while. And I, I found the thrash metal that we were listening to a little bit hard going, but uh, following that, we went to a couple of uh, secondhand record stores on that side of town as well, and. Um, uh, I picked up a, a nice Graham Parker uh, compilation. I mean, look, I've got a live album of his, but uh, I'm really surprised. You know, you're talking about things that you're surprised that you sort of hadn't listened to earlier in this uh, uh, Graham Parker album. I mean, I always sort of like, you know, I, I, as I said, I love this live album that I've got, I think, called Alone in America, which yep. is just him and a guitar. But, you know, like the classic stuff that he did with The Rumor, I'm really kicking myself. You know, I've been into all the... Joe Jackson and Elvis Costello stuff of the same era, and I guess he's sort of like lumped in uh, as you know with them as part of the Holy Trinity. So I'm really surprised that I never sort of went down the the rumor road, but that's something I'm going to have to pursue a bit more of. That's wonderful. So what else? What else has been on your radar? Yeah, now just with uh, with Halloween in mind, another one I can't seem to stop listening to is uh, Giorgio Moroder soundtrack for uh, Paul Schrader's Cat People. All right, okay. It's just, you know, good, synthy, moody stuff. It uh, puts me in a good frame of mind. I I think as a kid, we had the the Midnight Express soundtrack. I was listening to that a whole lot. And, uh, you know, that that famous chase sequence um, or piece of music, which I I know that there's an an adaptation of that that they use at the uh, End of Silver and Gold podcast. That's right, yeah. Yeah, the old Giorgio Moroder, my goodness, haven't heard that in years. So how does it? So it's it's not it's not dissimilar from the Midnight Express stuff. uh, It's just a bit slower, a little more atmospheric. It's it's pretty good. Right. I thought that um, the use of uh, David Bowie's putting out the fire and with gasoline was really really effective in um, 
Inglorious Bastards a few years ago. Right. So it was interesting that he chose to, to dig that up, you know, because, I mean, mostly, unlike the other Tarantino films where he's using a whole lot of, uh, uh, you know, classic rock tunes, uh, he, he went down a more classical road for that film, but he sort of dug this up and it was just absolutely perfect in context, I thought. Yeah, and so that, that song's on the soundtrack. It leads off the soundtrack and, and sort of the theme from that song pops up in some of the other um, parts of the soundtrack as well, just just the music so yeah it works it works well i mean it's an it's a it's an interesting film at best i haven't seen it in ages but uh yeah it's a it's a fun soundtrack mm, no I, I confess it's not one i've seen when it came out um i think that had an r certificate and unlike in north america where r means you know kids can go in with their parents we couldn't get in here and it's just not one i'd ever followed up but i don't think i've seen the val luton cat people either although um, max, oh, my son max yeah. is and loves it so yeah, well, Max knows. He knows well. He's a good, he's a great one. And the only other thing I'd really mention, Morris, is uh, someone who had a yard sale on last week, and I was just coming back uh, down the street uh, from picking up a loaf of bread, and lo and behold, I found some vinyl I'd been searching for forever. I'm a big Otis Redding fan, and they had uh, he had a copy on vinyl of King and Queen, uh, the Otis Redding, uh, Carla Thomas oh, nice. uh, album duets, and I just love all those songs, and I've always wanted it, never could find it, and here, just almost just half a block away from my home oh my goodness and that's got tramp on it and yep yeah. oh, wow. now that's so it was that like a, a a repressing or was that like an original pressing oh it's old and it's in pretty rough shape but i'm still happy with it <laughs> and my my children are convinced that carla thomas is quite rude and calling otis a tramp <laughs> that's a great tale fantastic oh well, you're educating them well yep okay so just i'll quickly mention a couple of things i've been listening to uh, over the last week or so um i went on saturday night uh to see um one of the kings of songwriting in this country uh, uh the great don walker i've sort of gone and put up a few posts about him on the love that album facebook page and i guess maybe a lot of folks outside of australia uh, may not really sort of be that familiar with his work but that's a crime everyone should know don walker was originally uh, the uh, main songwriter for the iconic australian band cold chisel and really you know generations of of uh you know people my age and and you know older and younger it just it's sort of like flocked to listening to cold chisel songs back in the day and they've never been off golden oldies radio but they were like the iconic pub rock band in the late 70s early 80s but uh, their music has never really escaped australian consciousness it's never been allowed to but it's in my considered opinion that since um the, their original breakup they have reformed but since their original breakup uh don walker has only gotten better as a songwriter and he writes these great songs that sound very late night sleazy King's Cross, for those of you in Sydney, you know what that means, but uh, try to think of um, in your own town a sort of you know, low-down sleazy area, something that would work well in a film noir, and uh, Don Walker's a great songwriter, but he also, he's a great lyricist. I heard him say something in an interview where he gets his ideas, he, like he came from out back Queensland, and he um, uh, just used to listen to uh, a lot of conversations that uh, old people in country towns used to have, and that sort of dictated how um, how he chose to write his lyrics and the stories that he told. Uh, you know, Paul Kelly is seen as being one of the greatest songwriters in this country, and not to take away anything from Paul, he's great, but Don Walker is certainly right up there with him, if not even surpassing him. So uh, he, he was playing on Saturday night with his band, which I will maintain till until something come, better comes along, which I doubt, that Don Walker's band has the greatest band name ever. 
Don Walker and the Suave Fucks. I just love that name. <laughs> Class, you know, it, it's, you know it, if it just had the F-bomb in it, it would not be a great name, but they're suave. And I just, I love that. I really do. And this band, they were just on fire. You know, they had the, the slow twitch thing sort of going and you know, a couple of up-tempo tunes and they covered everything from you know, uh, his, from his latest album, Hully Gully, some stuff from his uh, Catfish Project, the Textron and Charlie album that we spoke with uh, Tim Merrill uh, on quite a few episodes back uh, about, covered a couple of things from there and even a couple of cold chisel faves. And uh, Don was, he didn't speak much, but when he did speak to the audience, um, he had this dry sense of humour and it was just an absolute, it, it was a wonderful evening. So um, if you ever get the chance to uh, chase up Don Walker, uh, either in a live context or um, uh, through his music, I'd really highly recommend his latest album, Hully Gully. Um, some great tunes on that and um, some great playing. And uh, one of his guitarists plays a Gretsch guitar, and that's always a big plus. And uh, I think I'll have more to say about that later on in this show. And the other thing I want to um, talk about is another great local release. We have uh, a fellow called David Lang who's um, been putting out uh, incredible anthologies of Australian music over the last couple of years. I mean, there's always been anthologies of um, Australian music, but not necessarily always wonderfully put together. But uh, these albums are like the equivalent of the Rhino records that come out from the States. Um, just absolutely beautiful album notes. The songs have been mastered uh, really, really well. There's a great mix of well-known and obscure stuff. And this latest anthology that he's put out is called When the Sun Sets Over Carlton. Uh, that title is from a song by Skyhooks from their album Living in the 70s. The application to this anthology is it talk or bands who played heavily in the uh, mid 70s in the quite prolific band scene in the uh, suburb of Carlton here in Melbourne, and that was like a real hive uh, music and, and politics and underground activity. And so this uh, double CD is just like 80 minutes, 25 songs or so per CD, just absolutely wonderful. And, uh, iconic names like Skyhooks and Jojo Zapp and the Falcons, but some lesser-known bands like, I think, um, Paul Kelly's earliest band, the High Rise Bombers, the Auto Drifters, uh, the Palaco Brothers, which I think might have been an early band of uh, Jojo Zapp or Joe Canaleri, I should say. And it's just absolutely wonderful. Chase this up. Really, really urge you. And if you haven't caught up with uh, David Lang's earlier efforts, boogie about the Australian blues and hard rock scene of the 70s and Silver Roads, his uh, anthology of Australian country rock of the 70s i urge you to go get those as well and um, i'm very very excited because uh, i have an interview with david lang that i'll be recording in december uh, but we'll be playing as the first episode of love that album for january so uh, for 2015 so i'm very very excited about that search those out all right yeah, i will it's, it's interesting how just the, those names don't mean anything to me and it sounds like they should it's, it's a shame that you know some bands just never were able to export that easily well that's that's going to be an interesting topic, I think, in our general conversation of Whitehorse, because really right. it seems like outside of Toronto, well, well, I don't know, certainly outside of Canada, I don't know whether they have a have a name for themselves. And really, you putting that picture up on on your Facebook page was um, it, it was it was a good sharing thing. I was able to sort of really dig into this band that I, you know, if you hadn't put it up there, would have lived my life without ever knowing who they were. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so it's it's good to see like uh, the, the the local scenes of um, you know various people on the group. That's fantastic. But before we get into talking about that, we're going to uh, go to a break. In fact, we're going to play uh, the latest album I love segment from uh, Eric Reanimator. I'm really, really grateful. I'm always grateful to Eric for what he does for this show. 
But since we only decided that we were going to be recording this um, this episode over the last few days, Scott, I didn't send Eric notice until two days ago saying, hey, can you quickly come up with a segment for the program? And uh, he sent me two segments. So um, Eric's really on top of it. Thank you so much. So uh, this show's segment, he's uh, talking about Los Angeles band from the early 80s. Uh, a cowpunk band called Blood on the Saddle and their album Poisoned Love. I, I really like the music that uh, he plays in this and what he has to say, and I hope you guys do too. So um, give a listen to Eric, and uh, Scott and I will be back shortly to uh, talk about White Horse's album The Fate of the World Depends Upon This Kiss. You're listening to Love That Album. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two, I want two, three, four. Hallelujah, Now it's time for An Album I Love with Eric Reanimator. Reanimator. another album that I love segment this time around we're going to be talking about the 1985 album by the band Blood on the Saddle entitled Poison Love. Now I'm going to start right off by saying that I found two different citations for release date for this album. Uh, One says it was released in 1985, one says 1986, whatever. Basically it's that same mid right smack in the middle of decade 1980s period. Blood and Saddle were a, and continue in one form or another, to be a cowpunk band from Los Angeles, California, originally formed in 1983, released three albums and then split up in 87, and then formed again in the 90s and started releasing more records. By cowpunk, I mean a mixture of country music and punk rock, mostly in the form of taking country music ideas and lyrics and style and infusing it with a punk energy and attitude. The uh, reason I picked this is because uh, the band that uh, Morris and Scott are covering is a duo with a male-female folk rock dynamic, very much uh, the backbone of this era of Blood and Saddle is guitarist and vocalist Greg Davis and bass player Annette Zalaskins, who Notable for having been an early member of the band The Bangles. As I've mentioned many, many times before on the show, this was an era where 
punk rockers were mixing the, those two sounds of country and punk. And it was largely ignored by not only the mass audience, but also the underground audience. Of course, nowadays we talk about alternative country, and so much of the stuff has become mainstream. But let's take a break and listen to some of what they were doing, and I'll be back on the other side of this. Driver's license. My plates are out of state. The insurance has been canceled. The registration's out of date. Holy siren, holy siren. I hope I got a good selection of their varied sound in there. I definitely made sure to get some of the faster, punkier stuff and some of the maybe a little more ballady or slower stuff. What we're listening to now is a song called I Thought I Heard Some Thunder. It very much has a gun club feel to it. It's actually become a favorite of mine. Now, if you listen, you'll hear that the, uh, the MP3s that I'm using for the bed music here and for this segment in general aren't that great. That's because, to my knowledge, I've never been able to verify whether or not this has actually come out on compact disc. So I had to rely on uh, rips from either cassette tape or vinyl. You know, this is one of those albums that unfortunately I think it's going to be lost to the digital format. I don't know that it's ever going to get released. This band never really got their due in my opinion. I think they were much better than maybe they were thought to be. And they were definitely out of their time. Either they were ahead of the curve or behind the curve. So it's a great band. They had several albums. I can recommend all three of their albums from the, the 80s. And uh, the stuff that they did in the 90s and 2000s isn't too bad either. Just they kind of lost a step. And, you know, they, people get older and things change. The dynamic's a little bit different. So um, if you find it in the discount bin or regular bin or whatever, I'd say pick it up. It's got one of my all-time favorite album covers as well, which is this kind of weird 80s digital... Uh, artwork that's very uh, southwestern Native American. So this is Eric Ramader and I will catch you all later.
Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. Oh, it's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life. Or maybe just help you kill an hour. segment as per usual and he'll be back later on in the month with uh, his own compilation series of love that album and another album that i love segment all right you're uh, listening to episode 67 of uh, love that album i'm here with scott clickers and i forgot to mention how rude of me just in case you hadn't caught the neil young episode i highly recommend that you uh, go back and uh, download that one but in case you hadn't heard that one uh, scott is one half of the married with clickers team here and his wife cat Host the uh, wonderful movie discussion podcast, Married with Clickers. So, uh, just very quickly, Scott, where can uh, listeners download that from? Yeah, great. Thanks, Morris. My wife and I do a pretty much weekly show on lots of different types of movies, and we can be found at marriedwithclickers.libson.com or just search for Married with Clickers on iTunes. And you've been doing a month full of uh, the horror thing. Yeah, over the month of October, we had uh, some shorter episodes, all about a half hour, just covering horror movies, which we don't watch that often outside of October. So, it's been fun and, and we've had some guest hosts to help out and uh, you know and you and your wife helped us a lot in uh, in July over one of our vacations with an episode and I think we'd like to do that more down the road just get other people involved because it seems uh, it, it's they're very well received it's uh, it's great we were talking before about community and that really is a spirit of community alright so um we're going to talk, as I said, about the uh, White Horse album, The Fate of the World Depends Upon This Kiss. So I'll let you give a bit of an intro to this because, you know, as I said before, you went and put up a picture on, uh, I think is your own Facebook page or the Feed My Ears Facebook page saying that you were digging out on a Saturday morning listening to uh, that particular album and just the title went and hit me in the face. I thought, 
that is such a fantastic album title it just yeah. evokes so many images so give us a bit of a rundown how did you discover them have you seen them live what's what's your uh, history with them well yeah i don't uh, buy a lot of new music i hate to say it i'm just i work uh, barely listen to the music i already have so i don't buy that many new albums but uh, a couple of years ago I had seen a poster for one of their upcoming um, concerts. It was just a very, um, very cool little photo. And they had a concert coming up at a, a big concert hall in, here in Toronto called Massey Hall. It's sort of our most venerable old concert hall. Seats about 2,500 people. And it either features up-and-coming bands who have just got out of the bar scene or... You know, old acts that can, you know, the, the uh, Emmylou Harris's of the world, that level. It's a great place, um, but it's for band, you know, this was a band obviously on the cusp of really making it big. And I ha I stumbled into one of our local ret record shops, Sunrise Records, which location is closing as I speak right now, unfortunately. And they just had one of these crazy deals on, you know, like two CDs for... 12 or $15 and I just complete blind buy on this album and their first uh, first uh, album which I think is just called White Horse I saw a photograph they're playing at one of my favorite concert halls just thought I got it I'll just try this out and man I'm so happy I did still haven't seen them live I, I would love to I just sat down with this record and just absolutely fell in love with it knowing nothing about them um, later learned that you know, their husband and wife team, they both come from musical backgrounds, both have their own solo projects on the go. Um, she's from Chicago, I believe. Oh, really? Okay. Not, yeah. Not, not, so not she, a Canadian. No, yes. Yeah, so she has moved here. Uh, her name is uh, Melissa McClelland. And uh, he, uh, Luke Doucette, is from Hamilton, Ontario. And, and you may not know Hamilton, Morris, but it's sort of, best way to describe it is the Pittsburgh of, of uh, Canada. And I mean that in the nicest way. It's, okay. it's about an hour from Toronto. Okay. B big steel industry, so it's got a real, you know, working class vibe. But at the same time, like Pittsburgh, great hospitals, great university, real art scene too. Um, oh wow! You know, I know you're you're a Daniel Lanois fan. I am indeed. Yes. So you know, he's from Hamilton oh, as okay. well. So you know, he's the classic uh, francophone Quebecois person who would have moved. His family would have moved to Hamilton at some point to. You know, work in the steel industry there probably, and a lot of his songs, you know, have that background in them, and I can see a lot of that coming through Luke Dusset's songs as well. Is there a is there a big French speaking community in Hamilton? Because I sort of thought it was all limited to uh, to Quebec. It is limited to Quebec, but I bet if you were to walk around the streets of Hamilton, you'd see a lot of French last names on mailboxes and such. Right. The, the, the French history would be there, but the language might be gone. Okay, I, I saw. Um, I mean, I, I guessed from uh, from his name that he was of, uh, of French heritage, but I saw like a, a film clip on uh, YouTube of uh, him and Melissa doing an interview, and and he was speaking all in French, and I thought, okay, okay. wrong clip, wrong clip. <laughs> so, you no, know, well, you know, a lot of Canadians, even if they're from an Anglophone uh, town, have some Francophone in their background or family, and and really can comport themselves fairly well in both languages. Mm. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised. I know they've recorded a lot in French as well. But uh, just that that sort of that town that coming from that town with the mixture of the, you know, the uh the blue collar community but also real arts community, I think it's just a great mix. There was an interview that I read with Whitehorse that indicated let's I just sort of want to sort of bring this a little bit to giving a bit of a, a an idea for the listeners about their sound. And in this interview that I read, they said that they took great inspiration from John and June Carter Cash. And you know, presumably okay, yeah. that's that's as much for their artistry as you know, for what a working relationship 
could be. And you've already gone and said that they both had their own careers. Actually, also in this interview, they said that I'm not going to put this quite as humorously as they did. They said that their uh, their solo careers um, just weren't. Uh, they had to break up the solo career to you know, start the band or something like that. But it, it was it was quite humorous the way how they put it. Presumably, Luke isn't giving uh, Melissa hell with his with drug problems like John and June Carter Cash. Um, no, uh, I, I think he runs marathons. That's his biggest addiction, as far as I know. I'm, I'm still waiting on the White Horse live uh, from Folsom Prison album back. Yeah. <laughs> really, a whole bunch of other um, couples, and I know I, it, it seems like an obvious thing to do to sort of make the uh, all right. Well, they're a couple. Let's make the uh, comparison to other couples albums. But there, you know, there's something to it here. So you know, I, I sort of thought at first, you know, other couples like uh, Gillian Welsh and David Rawlings, The Civil Wars, uh, even you know Richard and Linda Thompson. I, yep. I mean, there are, I, I guess, there are certain superficial similarities. Both, you know, once again, but all being couples they're all working in the singer songwriter country folk traditions and they're all trying to tell stories i gotta confess i sort of wasn't the biggest fan of the civil wars some of the music was maybe a little too slight for my liking but i guess uh, you know the welsh rawlings thing they focus more on straight acoustic music but they're really i guess they're they still do have a similar feel. Their, their harmonies, they work in a similar sort of way, I think. Uh, but probably the Rich and Linda Thompson comparison for me, I guess, is the best for, for some of the material. Um, yeah, that's fair. Because yeah, they, they tended to be a bit dark. And even though, like, you know, you look at uh, Luke and Melissa on the front cover of this album, and they both look, you know, as happy and sweet as pie, you know, both you know, two good-looking people and... And even with a title like The Fate of the World Depends Upon This Kiss, you think these are all going to be really sunny songs. And then you listen to them, and a lot of the, a lot of the lyric matter, and I'll, I'll sort of get to this a bit more later on, but it, it, some of it's a bit dark. So uh, I, I think that makes a Thompson comparison all the, more, all the more compelling. She was there one minute, and then she was gone the Lying in a pool of herself with a twisted neck. Oh, she fell from the roof to the ground. There was glass lying all around. She was broken in a hundred pieces when her body was found. No, I. I I think you're right, and I think even where it's sweet, it's probably bittersweet. And before I forget, I wanted to mention that title, The Fate of the World Depends Upon This Kiss. Yes. I had read in an interview as well, it comes. It apparently comes from a Wonder Woman comic book cover. Oh, really? Okay. okay. Now, I, I have, I'm a big comic book guy, and I've searched high and low to see where this is, and they didn't really reference it uh, explicitly, but uh, I haven't found it. I'd love to find where that was said, but I could... I can believe that was said in an old Wonder Woman comic, you know. Oh my goodness, that's fantastic! I mean, I've been, I've been sort of thinking, oh, it sounds, um, well, I mean, I, I, I stupidly sort of thought, oh, it sounds very noirish, you know. But it's, but the fate of the world is never a, a noir issue. But there's still something that's dark and yet romantic about it, and that's probably why my head sort of pointed me towards the, uh, uh, towards the noir comparison. Yeah, but it might just be comic book hyperbole. <laughs> No, look, but I think that certainly works. And if you find that, please post that on the page. I will. I'd love to know about that for sure. Um, I think the first clip that I watched them on YouTube, like after I saw your 
uh, post there. I didn't I didn't sort of quite go for the blind buy. I thought, all right, well, let's let, have a look and see what these guys do. And the first clip I watched was of them singing the song that's the um, the opening uh, track on the album, uh, Achilles' Desire. Mm-hmm. And I, I followed that by um, a session performance of um, a song that I think is on the first album called Broken. And they're two very different moods over these songs. Achilles' Desire features, or at least in terms of what you're watching in the clip, you know, Achilles' Desire features shots of them playing in a boxing ring and uh, singing into one of those old-fashioned referee mics and alternates a, a shot to them having a boxing match and, of course, Melissa whipping Luke's ass on one of um, Broken, the clip. There was a fairly straight performance clip, um, at least you know, the version that I saw. Without getting into depth in, uh, about the songs yet, um, this already showed two very different sides to them. Achilles had that, at least in the, in, in the music side, it had that classic Gibson sound, a really... Uh, that really deep, lustful feel. Um, so did I say Gibson? I meant Gretsch. Really, more of a Gretsch sound, a Gibson sound. And Broken was more of that traditional songwriter fair. One day you're gonna miss me One day you're gonna wake up cold Then you'll wish that you could kiss me When you're old and you're alone So cry if you want to Yeah, you can come undone But you've got to have a heart to have a broken one Interestingly enough, Luke said that the song was aimed at an ex-girlfriend who, after any play to the song, as she told him, you know, get over the relationship, you know, it's, it's over, it's done. Uh, I think you know she. Um, he sings in that song. Uh, you have to have a heart to have a broken one. And I think, oh, that's a that's a pointed shot. Oh, it's a bite. my son loves that line. He just thinks it's terrific. <laughs> uh, how how old is he? Oh, he's just about to turn nine. Oh my God, nine going on twenty five. You know, he's already got wisdom there. That's fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, to your point, I think uh, and you can speak to the uh, the musical aspects of, of these songs a lot uh, more intelligently than I can. But I think it is, uh, you know, they, they were nominated for like the Canadian Folk Awards and stuff like that, which might give you the wrong impression because I, I think it's they're a very diverse band. There's a lot of different sounds. There's some very, you know, heavily produced songs. There's some very, um, very spare songs. And, and that gets me. I mean, I love variety. Well, you know what? It's... It's interesting you mentioned that because we spoke a lot on our um, uh, previous chat together when we were talking about Neil Young's Freedom album, that uh, diversity was what made, uh, th- was for us the key to what made that such a great album. I mean, obviously great songs, but whereas you know, some of the uh, rock critics were having a go at it saying, oh, he can't make up his mind if he wants to do grunge or if he wants to do country music. And we thought, you know, it really, you know, the source of a great meal is having a, a bit of this and a bit of that. And, um, you know, we, we spoke a lot about that on that episode. And, yeah, you f- I think you hit the nail on the head here is uh, what makes this album work so well. And I think, I don't think it's faultless. There, there are, I, I do have no. a couple of issues with it, which I'll get to. And, I, well, it sounds like, you know, you have a couple of issues with it too. Oh, yeah. But, but I, I admire the, the risks that they take in, in having the diversity on here and you know taking the chance we're not going to all do just acoustic ballady type of songs and we're not just going to do um 
uh, funky type workouts, which they do in one or two cases. Um, and we're not just going to do, you know, the, the sleazy type of, uh, oh, once again, that gretch sound again sort of thing. We're going to mix it up a bit. And I, I, I admire that diversity and that confidence that they obviously have in themselves to be able to pull it off. Yeah, no, I know, I agree, and and maybe you know, maybe we'll talk about our highlights and our lowlights on 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 this one. All right. Well, do you want to do you want to start off? Talk. Give us a give us a highlight. Give us a song. Uh, yeah. a couple of songs that um, really really well, uh, challenge you, or, or that, that do it for you. The one that the one that grabbed my attention immediately. I was I just remember I was uh, got bought the CD, threw it in my uh, car, was driving at night, and the, the song "Devil's Got a Gun" is the first one that that really grabbed me. Look out, this thing is gonna. I heard it from the people in the north There's trouble in the tenements below There's fire where the flowers used to grow I'm never going back I'm running from the sun Bullets at my heels The devil's got a gun I'm never going home I'll be the only one Very moody rocker, but it's got a real cinematic feel to it as well. I, I happened to be reading, not while I was driving, but around that time, I was reading a terrific uh, Western novel, and uh, the, just this song just was perfect for me at that time, and I, I still really love that one, Devil's Got a Gun. Cinematic feel, great guitar. It, there's a, just a, the line in the chorus repeated in that in the last uh, the last uh, time the chorus is sung that just works so well for me. It just that's the song that turned me on to the band completely. Nice, nice. There, while I was um, doing my uh, looking on YouTube for uh, clips of a band, and there's actually quite a lot of stuff there you can uh, you can find them doing performances. I'm I'm guessing a lot of it's for uh, you know specifically for the net, but I think there are a couple of things that were for like some local. Uh, TV station for, for yeah, some um, they have. Uh, for some sessions uh, thing which I think is fantastic that they had that opportunity but I saw a performance that looked like it's recorded in their own living room of uh, Devil's Got a Gun and mm-hmm. Luke is working with um, a loop box uh, I don't know what the technical term for it is because I don't have one but it's uh, you know one of those boxes where you know you see someone record uh, they, they can go and uh, I don't know record them uh, clapping, clapping their hands, or making a sound on their leg, and and they record that, and then it, it puts it in a loop on the box, and you know they'll push the pedal, and that loop will keep going, and then they'll record themselves uh, playing like a guitar riff if they want, and um, they like that loop, and then they just sort of keep doing this multi-layered thing, and they were doing that with Devil's Got a Gun, so they had this rhythmic thing going. Uh, and then they started playing the guitar and bass and singing over it. And then it gets to a point two-thirds of the way through the song where they stop, he pushes a button, the loop stops, uh, Luke and Melissa just go to the mantelpiece, each grab a bottle of beer, take a swig, put it down, then he pushes the, the pedal and starts up the song again. It's just real. It's, it's very, very funny, very casual, very funny. They're not taking themselves too seriously, so uh, I think that's a great little clip. Might have to post that to That's place. good. What are the other highlights? Yeah, I mean, the exact opposite end of the spectrum in terms of production, I guess, is a lovely little uh, song called Mismatched Eyes. Is it the list and the sway? Is it the roll and the pitch? The drunken golf 
Mexico or the Seven Leaves. I hear the mating calls of fireflies, some celestial blues, and they're bringing me around again. And there's something I can use. Now I see nothing but the water, and it's falling from my face. It is the face. It is the face. It is the face. It is the face. I wanna show you. Yeah, that's absolutely a favorite for me too. You know, it's 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 just such a love song. It, it's a very very beautifully uh, written song. What I like about it is um, there's just such symmetry to the song and to the imagery and just the way it's structured. I, I don't know enough to speak about songwriting, but I imagine trying to write a song this well has got to be a backbreaking experience. Yeah, it's just lovely. I mean, that's something that I'd say about them and. It works well on some songs and maybe not so well on others, but yep. they uh, they take what I believe is the Paul Simon approach. It, it, at least it sounds to me. Paul Simon wrote this great article where he says he treats songwriting like um, like a nine to five sort of job, which pretty much like the Brill Building people did. So he said, you know, he gets up like really early in the morning while his mind is still fresh, and he sits down at a desk. He makes sure the desk is clear and there's just um, a, a, a pad. And, and a pen, although maybe nowadays he's doing it on an iPad, I don't know, this is an old article, and he just, you know, he'll write words and he'll shift them around like a jigsaw puzzle and he'll see what works, and it, it's a range within an inch of its life. It's not, it's not the, um, uh, like the opposite end of the spectrum, they say, oh, I've got this inspiration and it all just poured out, or I had this vision and a dream and I just got up and I just wrote everything down it was like I spewed it out but uh, the, the lyrics here in particular I can't necessarily say for the music maybe the music was more spontaneous but the lyrics certainly sound here like uh, they've been worked over within an inch of their life and that's yeah, yeah. In, in some cases I think that works and in some cases not so much but mismatched eyes it's, it, it just makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Uh, it, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Okay, so it, it, it's this really simple finger-picked guitar melody, and yet the tone is just absolutely mesmerizing. And the other thing I like, what, what's really clever uh, about the arrangement, it, it could have gone the whole way through with just their vocals, and it's all like a conversation, because you know, he sings a couple mm-hmm. of lines, she sings a couple of lines, but towards the end, he goes and brings in the electric guitar, like these stabs, you know, the, <clears throat> I'll, I'll put that in so, uh, uh, like off the CD, so um, you don't just have to listen to me going, because <clears throat> that sounds a bit, <laughs> a bit ordinary. <laughs> I mentioned before, like all those other couples, yeah, you know, who, who they remind me of. Just, I've got written down here that listening to this song in particular, though, and see what you think of this. They, it reminded me. This sounds like the sort of song that would have worked well with Glenn Hansard and Marketa Iglova. I, I, I'm a big fan of the movie Once, 
and, yeah, this and, could fit in that for sure. Um, but it just sounds so much like a the sort of song that Hansard could write. I just no, absolutely adore this one. That's a that's a great call. Yeah, and I guess uh, I would just drop one more out there if I were to pick sort of the top three notable ones off off my list. Mm. And this one sort of fits right in the middle between those two. It's called Out Like a Lion. I'm not yours. You are mine. Um, it's, it starts with a line, I'm not yours, you are mine. Yes, yes. And it's mostly sung by Melissa here. And I think uh, what I really like about this song, Out Like a Lion, um, and the chorus is, I came in like a lamb and out like a lion. It's, 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 the shoe's almost on the other foot here. It's a very dominant female voice, a very strong female voice saying, I'm in charge of this relationship. And I think... <laughs> We're used to hearing that perhaps from time to time from a female singer-songwriter, but not necessarily someone singing along with her husband. So I think oh, yeah, hearing yeah, that point. from a married couple is just that—that's always just got my attention. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. It's um, I, I love the sound of that. Yeah, you know, that I, I love in a rock context where the um, where the acoustic guitar is um, it, it gives this a really really warm sound. And um, yeah, no, I, I take exactly what you mean about um, uh, about this being a dominant thing. Yeah, that that lyric, that is a great opening line. Having said that, I think the one thing, and this is certainly true of another couple of songs that I'll mention, is where uh, this is going to make me sound like such a doofus, you know, because I like the idea of clever lyrical songwriting, but yep. sometimes I think, and, and this is, comes back to the point I made a couple of minutes ago about it being arranged to be uh, within an inch of its life. And I think the next line where she sings, um, let that sink in like the Mary Rose. Now, yeah, I, I don't know how much of a history buff you are, Scott, but I had to look this up. and I, thought, All right, I had okay. to look it up too. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, how many people know that you know, it was a Tudor-era ship that, that sank? I mean, okay, you can get the idea, you can get the gist, but I'm thinking, right, well... Are they? Are they just saying, "Ah, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna throw this in"? We know this historical fact. We're just gonna throw that in for you, history buffs out there. I mean, okay, fine and fair, but as, as, as this is similar to another famous Canadian from Southern Ontario uh, who tends to dabble in a bit too much historical minutia, Mr. Robbie Robertson from uh, time to time. And, and yeah, oh, look, I don't feel the same way. I, I think with with um, with Robbie Robertson, uh, you know, with any any um, local references that he might make, it seems more like. You may not know this. Let me educate you. Whereas this, I think, is just maybe a little too clever by half. But that's I, I, I can see that. But I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like a like a, like a doofus. But you know, if I am, I'm, I'm prepared to wear that. It's just, but it's just how I feel about it. But it doesn't take away from the musical side. And, and really, musically, it's such a strong song. And as, as is most of um, most of the album. I'll, well, before I sort of go talking about you know, a couple of the songs that I really, really adore, and I've already sort of gone and 
you know, confessed up, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with your choices is absolutely wonderful. But I'll, I'll get the negative Nelly out of me quickly. For me, like, if we talk about the album from start to finish, one of the things that's often spoken about in making an album an album, as opposed to a collection of songs, has got everything to do with the order that the songs are placed in the sequencing. Yeah. And, and this album starts off re- I mean, really up until about two thirds of it. It just, every song seems to me to be absolute, uh, at least musical and in some cases lyrically seems to be really, really killer. And by the time they get to like the, the finishing run, like the, the, not, not the final song. I'll get to that separately, but the three songs before the end. Uh, before the last one, Radiator Blues, Annie Lou in Wisconsin, it almost seems like they're running out of steam. And I'm not sure if that's just because those three songs were placed in the order that they were, or if they actually don't appeal to me, because I think everything to that point was just so strong. And, you know, Radiator Blues, I I hear Luke's voice on that, and I think his his voice is, I don't know, is, once again, I, I feel like I'm not putting the right words here, but too nice and it just radiated blues. It just it doesn't work for me with his with his voice. But it know, sounds like a song that should be. I, I I like the song. I don't love it, but it does sound like something that should be was written for someone else to sing. Maybe right, right. That's yeah, and that, yeah. So that that whole thing there, I think that's yeah, that doesn't quite work for me. And and uh, the only other real, uh, I guess, negative thing for me was um, the song Wisconsin. The Boston Union's in Wisconsin. We got mojitos by the pool We got a talent for distraction No reaction To the colic and the cruel The sinking battleships at midnight We change the channel on a dime When they break to a commercial Dress rehearsal In our catatonic prime Time is... Which I sort of see where they where they're going but for me it's it's a little bit uh, for, for a band which seems to be sort of thinking about everything they do lyrically this song seems a little bit lazy to me they use the word they uh, the proverbial they they're busting unions in Wisconsin or they're sinking battleships at midnight or they're keeping science in the basement you know it's, it's this big anti-establishment anti-government it's the big anti-they. It's like you know, they're, they're yep. teenage, teenagers rebelling against the the adult status quo. And um, okay, you know, whatever. Whether I sympathise with uh, you know with their with their sentiments or not is not the thing. This is uh, supposed to be their what lyrically what they have what they have to say. And I just sort of think it, 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 using they all the time, and so it just sounds like a little bit lazy and a little bit unsubstantiated. I don't know. Maybe I'm. No, I get that. I mean, it's it's supposed to be, I think, a sort of a clever little ditty, and they're you know trying to point the finger at the, the change that's happening all around us. But you know, as a society, how vapid we've become, and how desensitized we are to everything. Yes. Uh, where our you know our, we're just so easily distracted, we can't import, we can't pay attention to the big things. But I think it's one of those songs you hear it once, you you sort of get it, and you may not want to return to it too often. And and I do think they can they have have far better songs than that. And I think you mentioned the song Annie Lou as well, and that's yeah, yeah. certainly for me when I'm listening to this on my iPod, that's an automatic skip. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, look, I find myself because I'm still in love with the art of the album, 
um, I find that more often than not, I'm still sort of going through the album as a whole, but yeah, that's yeah. I sort of think, all right, I, I lose a bit of concentration there and then just sort of pay attention to something else over those three songs. And, and that's why I come back to this whole thing about sequencing. If they'd been placed elsewhere on the album, uh, maybe they would have worked better still. Thinking, well, not great, necessarily the greatest songs, but maybe the album as a whole, rather than getting this big dip towards the um, towards the end of the album but um look i'll i'll stop the uh the negative nitpicking so like go into a couple of other songs that yeah i'd like to i'd like to hear which one's caught your attention well look you know once again the um the opening song we've already mentioned achilles desire i don't have much but i got the good stuff and i keep it tucked away Again, that, that deep twangy Gretsch sound—it's—it uh, it has this. The song has this ominous ghost town feel with you know the tumbleweeds floating by. You and I like to talk, uh, or we did like to you know, on the previous episode, plus with other people who I've chatted with about cinematic sounding songs, and there are a few mm-hmm. of those on this album. And this really does sound very, very cinematic. It, it has, in a way, it has Luke sounding like he's a, a carnival barker, although you know, not in the same way that Tom Waits does on um, uh, The Black Rider. It's a bit different, but uh, the combination of you know, the guitar sound and that uh, bass drum tambourine sort of thing that gives that carnival feel. They take it in turns to sing uh, verses before joining in you know, the harmonies on the chorus. It, it just works absolutely so well. And you know, with and I, I, one thing I like about this song is, unlike some of the others, I think this song uh, they let I, I don't know they that they laboured as much on the lyric as they did on some of the other songs. I think this one is a little bit more. I don't like to use the word organic, but I'm going to because I can't think of another one. It, it sounds sultry. It sounds really, really sultry. Very sexy. And I got to I got to tell you, every time I hear. Uh, Melissa sing that line, I don't know why, but you make me sweat. I break out in a cold sweat. Her voice sounds (laughs) sultry and sexy, and just with that guitar sound, it's really, it's a a great late night song. I I just absolutely really love it. And, you know, right from Boom, the opening song of the album, it's low key, and yet it's a great album opener. I mean, I love those album openers where they come running out of a gate and it's energetic and then you can afford to slow it down a bit. They've taken the other way where they've taken a song that's 
really laid back, but because it's so uh, sultry and late nightish, um, it, it, this really grabbed me by the short and curlies. I didn't want to use that expression, but there you go. I guess probably the other one that I'll mention is um, the album Closer, after sort of the um, the unholy trinity. And look, I don't want to give the impression that they're bad songs. They're, they're okay. Uh, Annie Lou and uh, Radiator Blues in Wisconsin, but just after how strong the rest of it is. They close the album on a really, really slow and another very cinematic sounding song called Mexico, Texaco. Sometimes I just I can't help but think There's a particular way For an angel to sleep With her head just so Turned up on That's just standing there watching her dream Something frightfully beautiful And why can't I take this car And drive it to Mexico We'll rob a Texaco like Achilles Desire, the album opener, they both have that noir or western film feel to them. I haven't really completely decided which, but you know, uh, Mexico, Texaco has this you know, melancholy feel. Uh, it, 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 it sounds gritty, and you know, once again, I can hear like the, you know, the tumbleweeds float across. Uh, across the street and uh, that, that uh, Gretsch guitar sound once again it just reinforces uh, Luke's story here about you know the thought of a man late at night as uh, you know he contemplates whether he should um, continue with a life of crime when uh, this uh, you know beautiful angel who's sleeping next to him is all he's ever really wanted and this like um, like you know I, I mentioned about the Achilles desire he, he's just gone and let the lyric here he, he's just gone and let something natural take over. It doesn't sound laboured. He, he, it's not um, just spewed out. It's, it's clever without being uh, academically clever, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it, for uh, sure. It's just beautiful storytelling. I love it. It's, I, I guess in a way, it sort of reminds me, it, it, maybe not musically, but lyrically, it sounds like the sort of thing that Bruce Springsteen could have written. Yeah, yeah, it's got that late night on the road, uh, about to make a fateful choice kind of feel to it. It, it would have fitted in on um, on Nebraska. Nebraska, <laughs> we're on the same page on yeah, that. One yeah, for yeah, sure. he's done a, an absolutely uh, beautiful job there. Oh, so look, I will mention one more tune. Not necessarily my favorite on on the well, but, but it is one I really really like. Uh, fairly early on, a song called Cold July. Cold snow.
this I point this one out because you know I, I mentioned before Richard and Linda Thompson and Melissa's voice here sounds like Linda Thompson. Yeah. Uh, absolutely gorgeous here. Uh, and this why I particularly want to mention this one though is this is probably one of the one of the few songs here with a lyric that how can I put this? It, it does sound like they've laboured over it and yet it works and I think it's probably because even though it's been laboured over it has a it, it brings the personal into it so uh, she sings here uh, cold snap apathy uh, killer hypothermic hypothermic heart I read you like a calloused braille hieroglyphics in the snow will get by but it's been a cold July it does sound like that's been well thought out and they've tossed out hundreds of hundreds of uh, scraps of paper thing no this doesn't work no this doesn't yep. work they've, they've arranged things ever very cleverly and yet because they bring the personal it's about this couple it sounds like ah they've made it personal i can i can warm to this and i i think this is this song uh, would really strike a chord potentially more with with canadians because the notion of a cold july you know you're on the other side of the world so this is your winter but <laughs> that's right, in yeah. july we we as Canadians have such harsh winters, we just cling to our summers. So the notion of having a cold July means all your winter suffering was for naught. And there's nothing more sad than a cold July because you, you, you've been cheated, you know. Um, so I, I, I think that everyone, anyone in Canada would say it's a cold July. It would just, you know, ruin their, their lives. And so to bring that into a the notion of a relationship, you know, has has that, that a great level of meaning. Um, but look, I think pretty much that's that's you know what I guess I had to say. But did, did you have any uh, final thoughts? Yeah, I would that? just note quickly because I know we both have to jump off pretty soon. Uh, there's a song called "No No Glamour in the Hammer," which is a pretty straight-ahead rocker. the nickname for Hamilton where they come from um, okay, so I, it, I, I that's where that would come from I wanted to ask yeah. what, what that meant because once again I was thinking oh yeah this is probably something clever or something local I mean it was they use the word they, um, they glamour in the hammer but they sell it at the big and tall I thought alright that's going to be some local shopping you know, what does this big and talls mean? big and talls are, are men's clothing stores for the, the, the heftier man you know um, so th th this is this that particular song is just littered with references to to, uh, to Hamilton. You know, St. Joe's is spilling over with heart attacks. St. Joe's is their large hospital down there in, in Hamilton. So it's you know it's it's a great one. And I think if, if you knew Hamilton as well, you, and you listen to Daniel Lanois, you'll see a lot more of that flowing through his music as well. And the only, only other one I wanted to mention because I think it's a pretty good rocker is the song uh, Peter Built Coal Mine. And I've been eyeing up a coal mine, baby. I've been eyeing up a Peterbilt truck, and I've been listening to the radio sometimes, and it's making my backbone will. I've been dreaming of a mighty, mighty red, and a thatch roof hut that I put on it in. 
You gotta figure there's a local round the bend with the shiny red bar stool. My name's on it. Oh, has a record stop. music to see how strong a guitar player Luke is but I imagine he's pretty good oh, Luke, um, he's, he's definitely a very good he's a very tasteful player Luke, you know, okay to my ears and I just love it I think it's the song it's the song of an aging rocker to a degree because the chorus you know has the record stop spinning it's got lines like it's my punk flame burning out as right. the band move as the band moved on and left me on the farm I just, I, I feel it's great, you know, now that I'm getting older and I'm in a relationship, it's great. You know, he's at a stage in his life where I think he's deep into his 30s. Well, you know, he's, he's, he's at a different stage and is, uh, the song like this is a, uh, a great one. And I'm happy he can sort of acknowledge the fact that he may no longer be the punk he once was and all of, you know, he's questioning his decisions in life maybe. So I like that one and it's a pretty solid rocker. Overall, I would say, you know, the songs here that, that, that work just are terrific, but I agree, it's, it's certainly... Uh, flawed is in the same could be said for their first album as well but if you take the best songs off this album and, and their first album I think you've got probably a dozen gems mm -hmm. oh look this is definitely a buy out there if uh, if um, this is the first that you're hearing about White Horse and you've liked the little clips that I've gone and interspersed in our chat here I'd wholeheartedly recommend that you go out and uh, get a copy of this album. I listened to the first album as well the self-titled one it didn't grab yep. me quite as much uh, as this one, but certainly if um, if you like good songwriting and, and I, I think I'd be interested to hear what they come up with next. I believe that they're recording uh, as we speak uh, their next album, so uh, I'm, I'll certainly be you know, day one that gets released. I'll be uh, buying that one. So a, a few a few flawed songs, and even the flawed songs are not bad. They're just not as great as a really really great one. So this yeah. is, this is a solid buy. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to like it. I was happy to discover it. And then, you know, just Kat w was listening to it almost accidentally. And, you know, she independently fell in love with it as well. I hope you, uh, hope you get the opportunity to go, to go see them. I, I think I read something that they were about to play Massey Hall sometime in uh, October. Oh, but well, you were probably, uh, that, that may have passed. I was, yeah, I think I missed them here and they were, they were advertising a lot um, for a show in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which ironically enough, that's where Kat and I met and mm. there were never shows as cool as this one when we lived there. Well, so I, I will see them. They're on my to see list for sure. Next time they, they're coming, they're through. I will pay, I will stop at no expense to see them. Good. Oh, well, uh, we'll, look, we'll love that album. We'll personally uh, cover all your expenses. Thank you for, for that. Just put it to the uh, credit card and uh, we'll, we'll the, talk about be the, the roving. Later. Roving reporter. Exactly, exactly. You're you're our uh, you're our rep in uh, in uh, Toronto. So um, I'll be your Cameron Crow. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That'll be great. All right. Look, um, I think uh, well, you've um, you've got uh, children to attend to. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your uh, your time, Scott. No, thank you, Morris. I'd be happy happy to join any time. I just love the show and happy to contribute any way I can. Thank you so much. And, and just one final plug, go for it uh, with Married with Clickers. So what's uh, what's coming up next? Yeah, we're back. Uh, we're out of the horror mode. We've got a lot of films we want to cover between now and the end of the year. And I think we're going to uh, take some off our, you know, quote-unquote list of shame. Cat picked uh, Fellini's Eight and a Half for the next uh, next episode. Oh, well, and neither, neither of us have ever seen Eight and a Half. Oh, How well, about you, that? 
Well, look, you're, you're, you know, by saying the list of shame, I'm feeling really embarrassed because um, apart from or- orchestra rehearsal, which I'd seen many years ago and was not that great a fan of, I'd only just this year really and truly watched, oh, just yeah, my second Fellini film, I watched Amacord and absolutely okay, yeah. adore it, uh, absolutely adored it, but I've um, only recently bought La Dolce Vita and uh, if I can, you know, I want to make that something I watch before the end of the year, but yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm not uh, deep in, haven't watched that much Fellini yet, so I've really that's but that's the beauty of um the home video thing. You we got this pantheon, and we can always uh, come back to it. So uh, so yeah, I don't know. I never know show. what she's going to pick, but next is eight and a half, and then uh, I've got some picks coming up. One will be a great noir called The Burglar, and okay. uh, I think we'll be covering. Uh, I I want to cover uh, Meet Me in St. Louis before the end of the year. Oh, no. oh, look, it's been a long time since I watched that, but that'll be I, will t- I don't want to spoil my review, but it looks amazing on Blu-ray. Ah, oh, fantastic. No, I, um, I want to catch that. I, I might watch that again. And so, yeah, Married with Clickers on iTunes or uh, website once again? It's just marriedwithclickers.libson.com. Excellent. Thanks for joining us for episode 67. Episode 68 should be out in a couple of weeks uh, following this one, uh, and that will be myself and uh, a newcomer. To the Love That Album family, local guitar teacher and uh, musician who's busy playing about four nights a week. Busy, busy guy. So I'm grateful that he's uh, finding the time to talk with me. His name is Reese Lett, and he's going to be talking with me a little bit of uh, Jellyfish in their second album, Spilt Milk. If you've heard this before, you know how special this album is. If you haven't, give it a listen and then tune into the show. That'll be coming up in a couple of weeks, and we've got another episode of Love That Album, the compilation series with Eric Reanimator. Eric will be discussing albums by The Damned and Thin Lizzy. So a lot of Love That Album coming your way, and then in December, we'll be uh, doing our end-of-year shooting-the-shit wrap-up. I'll uh, be putting out a couple of notices out there for uh, you listeners out there to please send me your favorite albums of the year either in mp3 form or in written form send me uh, an email don't put it on the facebook page let's read it out and make the show special all right so uh, my thanks once again to you scott and um we'll um uh, have you again on next year no doubt and that would be wonderful anytime i'm at your disposal thank you good excellent and uh, we'll maybe find if um if cat's got an album that she likes so that'd be uh, that'd be wonderful make it a make it a family affair maybe we get you know joe and cat on and That'll be fun. It will be fun. All righty. Anyway, look after yourselves, folks, and uh, watch some great movies, listen to some great albums, read a book or ten, and just generally be nice to each other. Okay. Speak to you soon. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.